back. Okay, uh, all these uh, coming weeks parshas, of course, last week's parsha as well, deal with the topic of shiduchim. And this coming week's parsha, Esav gets married at the end of the parsha, and the uh, following week, uh, parsha Vayetzi, of course, discusses the shiduchim of, uh, of Yaakov Avinu, of Le and Rachel. Uh, but of course, the topic of shiduchim really uh, begins in last week's parsha, in parsha Chayesar, with the uh, shidduch that was arranged uh, by Eliezer on behalf of um, Yitzchak uh, and Rivka. And Svasemes uh, comments, it's quoted by the Imre Yemes, that uh, the parish of Shidduchim really gets started with Eliezer arranging a Shidduch on behalf of Yitzhak and Rivka in order to teach us that Shidduchim always needs an intermediary, that it's hard for people to arrange their own Shidduchim, and that's why the first Shidduch that's really discussed at length in the Torah um, was with an intermediary, someone who was arranging the Shidduch on their behalf, a, a broker, a sarsor, uh, a shadchan. So much so that they, they quoted the name of Svasemis in the Sefer, Siach Sarfei Kodesh, that the Svasemis was once suggested a shidduch by a potential mechutin, and he rejected the shidduch because it came directly from the mechutin. And he held that uh, a shidduch has to have a sour sword, has to have, and now it could just be he was trying to be, uh, you know, to get out of the shidduch, I don't know, but it's quoted in the Sefer, Siach Sarfei Kodesh, that Svasemis felt it was kind of like a halacha, a din, or, you know, that's the metzias, the shidduchim that are going to be successful, you usually come through uh, an intermediary. Um, but it's so interesting that even though Eliezer is clearly a, a central figure in arranging the shidduch on behalf of Yitzchak and Rivka, he's a main character, uh, at the same time, uh, his name is not mentioned throughout the parsha. It's always described as Ebed Avram. So the Shem Yishmuel writes that this is uh, significant, that uh, Eliezer's name is not mentioned explicitly in the parasha, not only to teach us that a Shadchan should never make the Shidduch about him, they should always understand that the Shidduch is on behalf of the two parties that he's arranging the Shidduch uh, you know, for them, but even more than that, uh, Shem Yishmuel claims that it's uh, fundamental, and it teaches us that the Shadchan is really just a Shliach, not on behalf of even the two parties, but on behalf of the Rebbein Shalom. And that's why his name isn't mentioned, because he's really partnering with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Because the Medrash tells us um, in Parashas Vayetzeh that after the Sheshen Mebrashas, what does the Kaddish Baruch Hu busy himself with? You know, he's, uh, he's retired. He's, uh, he's finished uh, you know, most of his uh, active, uh, productive activity, Kiviyachal, that he did during the Sheshen Mebrashas. So what is he uh, busy uh, doing, Kiviyachal, uh, you know, the, you know, the rest of the time? So the Medrash comments that Kaddish Baruch Hu is Yoyeshev Umezavik Zivugen. He sits and arranges uh, Shidduch, and that's what the Kaddish Baruch Hu is busy with. And in fact, the truth of the matter is, the real Shidduch, the first Shidduch that we find in the Torah, is not in last week's parish between Yitzhak and Rivka, it's really between Adam and Chava, which was also through an intermediary, namely the Rebbein Shalom, because the Pasuk says, Ve'yeviyeha el ha'adam. Kaddish Baruch Hu brought Chava to Adam. So the first Shidduch was really arranged by the Rebbein Shalom, on behalf of Adam and Chava, and, and the Medrash tells us that uh, after Sheish Mebesh, Kaddish Baruch Hu busies himself with Shiduchim. So a person who engages in Shiduchim, you know, like, uh, like in, following the model of Eliezer, um, is really partnering with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and perhaps that's why Eliezer's name isn't even mentioned, because he was just a shliach, Kilu, of the, uh, the Rebbe Nishalayim. So the Shidduch, the Shadchan, plays a fundamental and axiomatic, perhaps, role in arranging uh, shidduchim, and it, it, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's very hard to arrange shidduchim on behalf of oneself. It, it's really helpful, of course, uh, to have a shadchan. Maybe that's almost uh, indispensable. And there's a lot of effort that the shadchan sometimes has to put into arranging uh, shidduchim. It does say in last week's parasha, after Eliezer relates um, how he met Rivka and identified her as the proper shidduch for Yitzchak, and he's telling the whole story to Lavan, to Lavan comments, you know, May Hashem Davar. This was clearly divinely ordained. And they quote in the name of the Vilna Goyen that this teaches us that there is no uh, 
hishtalus that is necessary in Shidduchim because the Kaddish Baruch Hu is arranging the whole parasha. Kaddish Baruch Hu is the one who's pulling the strings in Shidduchim, bas plani, leplani. And therefore, hishtalus is not necessary. That's a comment that Goyen has over here in the Sefer, or Yohel, on the Pasuk in Tehillim, im Hashem lo yivna bayis shavamoloi. When it comes to building houses, you know, in uh, Kalal Yisrael, shavamoloi. Your uh, amelos is uh, for naught. It's, it's useless. There's no point really in Hishabbos because the Kaddish Baruch Hu is behind everything. Uh, Revolve used to quote in the name of uh, Chaska Levenstein, in the name of the Mashkiach, that, uh, that not only is, uh, is one um, not obligated to do Hishabbos, meaning it's not a Chiyuv, but it's useless, meaning that's what you see from the Goyen. It's, it's not only not a Chiyuv, it's pointless. According to the name of Briskirov, or Sternbach, in last week's parish in the Sefer Tamvadas, quotes the name of Briskirov, that Hishabbos is only to make us feel like we're doing something, you know, like a, a rat spinning his wheels. It makes him feel like he's going somewhere, but of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one who's ultimately in charge, and even, and even Hishtablus uh, is pointless. But many, many Poiskim, subsequently, after this going, claim that we have to reframe this, uh, this comment of the Vilna going. They quote in the name of Shlomo Zalman. It's in a collection of, um, of uh, things that Shlomo Zalman wrote or said in a sefer called Shalmi Simcha. It's a few different uh, volumes from Shlomo Zalman. So one of those volumes, it says, now the going doesn't mean that you don't need any Hishtablus at all. What it means is it's not the same kind of Hishtablus that you have in other areas Maybe the same, the same degree of Hishtalus, same kind of focus of the Hishtalus, but of course, uh, Hishtalus is necessary. So there's a safer now out from Revo Yashiv, fantastic, one on Avelos and one on, um, on Hilchas Nisuin. So they quote there, called Siyuni Halacha, I think. So in the safer Siyuni Halacha, they quote there from Revo Yashiv. Revo Yashiv also said, of course, there's Hishtalus by Shiducham, and he brought a raya from the Gemara, Mesechtas Kiddush on Dav Beis, which comes in the Post Comparatus, Kiseitse Kiyikach Ish Isha. When a man takes a woman, so the Gemara asks, why does a man, you know, proactive in taking a woman, why does it say, ki silokach isha leish, you know, in the more of a passive tone, when a woman is taken by a man? Why is it the man who's taking the woman, ki yikach ish isha? So the Gemara says, because madarka shal ish, lachzer achar isha. It's the way, it's, you know, the, the nature of man to pursue a wife. So you see from the Gemara, says Rabbi Yashif, that a derech of a man is to pursue the wife. You see from here, of course, you know, that Hishtalos is, is required. And then on the bottom of the footnotes, and that's Sefer Tzunei Lachle, quote from Chaim Kenievsky, uh, that he uh, argued that, well, no, what the Goyen means is that the Hishtalos, again, is not the same kind of Hishtalos. And maybe the Hishtalos won't change, you know, the, 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 the individual who a person is, you know, who, who, who is the intended, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it won't hasten, you know, the, 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 the achievement of the Shidduch, and it won't, you know, maybe the manner and how much, uh, you know, effort is involved. Oh, Hishtalos can certainly play a role, if not, you know, the same kind of role that he usually plays uh, in other areas. So Hishtalos, even though there's a famous comment from the Goyen <coughs> that Hishtalos has no place in Shidduchim, uh, many, many explain that, that, that that's not to be taken, uh, you know, at face value. Of course, Hishtalos has some role in Shidduchim, and if you speak to any Shadchan, they'll tell you there's a lot of Hishtalos that, in, in, that goes into making Shidduchim. And when people are doing this kind of Hishtalos, and it's a holy hishtalus. You're partnering with the Rebbeinu Shalom and arranging shidduchim on behalf of people. Um, so there is an expectation that people will be paid or compensated for their time and effort. And that's not an unrealistic expectation. It goes back also, you know, in time. There's a source for this from the Medrash. The Medrash says in Parshas Akev that uh, Kaddish Baruch Hu says to Moshe Rabbeinu uh, that you were the sarsor, you were the shadchan between me and Klal Yisrael at the time of Kabbalah Satera. Moshe Rabbeinu was the sarsor. He was the intermediary, the one who arranged the marriage between Klal Yisrael and the Rebbeinu Shalom. Many halachas of Nisu and a marriage are patterned after Klal experience of Maimon Arsini. And uh, one of them is uh, that this Indian, that Moshe Rabbeinu was the Shadchan, and therefore in future, uh, 
marriages. There also is a precedent to have a shachin following again in the footsteps of Moshe Rabbeinu. So the Medrash there says that Kaddish Baruch Hu paid Moshe Rabbeinu for doing so by giving him the karan or panav, that his face had that countenance that it was glowing. That was Moshe Rabbeinu's schar, shachonus, for arranging the marriage between Klal Yisrael and the Rebbe Shalom. So this is a precedent uh, for paying the shachin for their effort. But what is the mechanics? What is the obligation, you know, financially, bedine momenis, uh, to pay uh, the shadchan. So there's two types of shadchanim, as we all know. There's the professional shadchan, who has a rate, like any other you know, person who provides a service. If a person engages shadchan, shot which is upfront about their rate, it's no different than any other schiris poilim. You're paying someone to do something for you, they're upfront about this is how much I charge, and then of course you're obligated to pay me dine schiris poilim. That's clear. However, and in Eretz Yisrael, a lot of times, they're very upfront about how much they charge. And to be honest with you, that actually um, <coughs> removes a lot of the mystery and a lot of the disputes that happen because it's clear about how much you know, a person charges. Difference. Huh? There's one key difference. What's that? You don't, you don't pay a pile if he's not... You, you pay a pile even if he's not successful. Well, we'll get to your point in a second. In a second, okay, okay. But a lot of times, at least here in the, in the States, uh, a shachin comes in the guise of a friend or just a general good Samaritan, and they're just trying to do good in the world and create Shidduchim and partnering with the Rebbe Shalom, and they're very not upfront about necessarily how much they charge, or there's a range of how much they, they charge, or, or they, you know, the fact that they you know, charge at all is, is not really discussed um, at, uh, at the beginning. And certainly when Shidduchim come, uh, you know, suggestions come from a friend, uh, or a friend of a friend, or an acquaintance, um, certainly there's no mention of how much is going to be charged, how much you know, is expected. So is there an obligation to pay there, and what is the mechanics of that uh, obligation? So there is an obligation to pay there, even in those uh, settings. Um, based on the Gemara Mesechus Bob Metzia. All the Pites will deal with it, trace it back to this halacha. Uh, over here, Ois Gimel. If a person goes down, really that means trespasses on his friend's property, and Umash he improves it. This is totally foreign to us. Um, someone comes and trespasses on my property and proves it that I should have to pay him for that which he did while he was trespassing. But this is the halacha, um, that, uh, one of those halachas that doesn't really jive with our uh, Western kind of uh, way of doing things. But a person comes to my property and improves it, I have to pay him for that improvement. Now what does that mean? A person comes to my property and I have beautiful landscaping and grass and bushes and this and he plants pumpkins in the middle of my front lawn. That's called a mazik. And he, he, he lowered the value of my property. But if I have an empty pumpkin patch, or whatever it's called, I have a pumpkin field, it's in Yanadiyam, I have an empty pumpkin field, and a guy comes and he plants pumpkins, and I was planning on planting pumpkins, so then he did me a favor, because I was planning on planting, it's made for planting, I haven't gotten around to it, and he did it for me, so I have to pay him for that which he did. Do I have to pay him only for the expenses? Do I have to pay him for the, how much the pumpkins are worth is the discussion? But Lamaise is, I have to pay him for benefiting, for, for, for enhancing, for improving my property, even though it was unsolicited. Even though I didn't ask him to do it. The field is meant for it, so I'm happy about it in the end of the day. But I did not do it. It was entirely unsolicited. I have to pay him for that which he did on my behalf. So why do I have to pay him? So we shine him there, explain the Ritzvah and Luka Yosef. The reason I have to pay him is because since I'm happy about it, and that was what the field was intended for, it's as if I asked him to do it. They came and they saw the Asuya Lita, over here, the last line of Ois Gimel, the Yadua Bang Vashasku, they saw it and they were quiet about it. Vade Nekubamaida, Abu Kuilu Yard Midaitam Domi. It's as if he you know, came down to the property and improved it with, with my instructions, and therefore uh, I have to pay him Midine Skiris Pilum. It still is odd, because Skiris Pilum is an uh, arrangement that we make uh, between two individuals. I hire you to perform such a job. 
Here, I didn't ask him to do it. It's as if you asked him, because since you're happy about it, but there's still that really important step uh, that's missing. So perhaps this already reveals to us that there's something unique about Skira's poem. It's not the same as other transactions that we have being gavra gavra. See, typical transactions alone is an arrangement that you and I make. Skira's poem, it sounds like it can be triggered um, even without a direct arrangement between us, perhaps indicating that Skira's poem is a chiv that the Torah imposes. When one person does... Um, uh, an activity on behalf of someone else that usually you know, one is paid for that, he has the right to be paid midin Torah, even if the two parties didn't arrange it themselves. You see, like, uh, like this from the Gemara Masechus Boba Kama. The Gemara says in Boba Kama, um, discussing Esnan. Esnan, of course, the Pasuk and Parshish Kisei say, Esnan, Loisavi, Esnan, Beis Hashem, Loikechi, a Zaina who's paid for her services with an animal is not permitted to bring that animal as a carbon in the Beis HaMikdash. Why? The reason is obvious. She should never feel that she's buying her way into a kapara. Oh, I took the animal that I used for this illicit activity and I'm using it to come close to Hashem. Why should never think you could buy your way you know, out of Avera? So the Torah doesn't permit us to bring an Esnan, an animal that was paid to a Zion for services, as a carbon in the base of The Gemara says, Esnan us the Torah Even if the Zion was his mother, in which case he's Chayav Misa, for the activity of being with his mother, uh, and he paid her for the services, that Esnan is also too, even though the Gemara says he's really not obligated to pay the Esnan to his mother. Why is that obligated to pay the Esnan? Because of the old rule of Kimle B'dirav Mine. The Pesachot says in Parshish, Kiseitze Kidei Rishosai, you give him Malchus according to that which he did wrong, If a person is obligated or you know, becomes liable to two punishments through the same activity, one which is more severe, one which is less severe, he always gets the more severe punishment. Kim bideramine. We know this halacha. A person, uh, let's say, um, uh, uh, rips someone else's garment on Shabbos. It's Gemara's example. So he's chayev mominis to pay his friend for the garment that he ripped, but he's on Shabbos. You do chayev midayraisa for ripping garments, which is chayev misa. So the chayev misa eclipses the chayev moment, and he's potter from the chayev moment. Kim bideramine. So Gemara says the same is true here. He's not obligated to pay his mother, because even though there's a chiyuv moment to pay her, there's a chiyuv doiraisa, the fact that he was with his mother, and that chiyuv misa, midoiraisa, uh, the fact that he would violate gilei rais, eclipses the obligation of skiris pailim to pay her the yasdan. But if he pays her anyway, that's what the Gemara means to say, Esnan, that's a even though he pays her, and he didn't really have to, then Esnan is also not permitted to be brought in the base of as a carbon. Oh, so that's exactly the point. The Meiri yes, in the name of the Chachmei Sarfasim, he has how he changes the gears in the Gemara because he has what Kimwe Bideramine exists in an arrangement that you and I make between us. That's not a punishment that Torah says. Well, so, you know, Torah imposes, so you could say, well, you get one punishment and not two, or the more severe eclipses the less severe. This is not a punishment. This is an arrangement you and I make. What would be a comparable case is if I sign, a, you know, a mortgage. This is what I was thinking. I sign a mortgage on Shabbos. So I'm chayvin deiraisa for writing, but the, that doesn't exempt me from paying back the loan, right? The loan is an arrangement between you and I. What does that have to do with Kim Rei Bidaramine? Of course you're obligated to pay the loan. So that's exactly what Chachman Atzarfasim asked. What do you mean he's potter from paying his mother for the services? Because he's chayv misa for being together with her. Well, that's an arrangement between the serious problems he's arranged between you and I. That's not a chiv that the Torah imposes. Even, so, even tearing a baguette. That, no, Gnev and Gzela and Mazik, that's a chiv that the Torah imposes. That's yeah, one of the Arba of Nazikin. He's losing out, but the fact that I have to pay is a din Torah. That's not an arrangement you and I make. That's the Torah says, if you damage someone else, you've got to pay. That's a punishment. It's, uh, but, but over here, 
even chatinet, right? Sometimes it's a knas, sometimes whatever. But over here, this is the arrangement you and I make. So perhaps you see from here that Schira's poem is not alone. It's not the kind of arrangement that you and I make. The Torah has something to say here. And if one person does something that benefits someone else, and normally one is paid for that activity, the Torah steps in and the Torah says a person is obligated to pay in that, uh, in that setting. Perhaps uh, that's why the Shulchan Aruch says it's a striking halacha, and the Ramah quotes it over here with regards to Shadchanis, that if I arrange with a pile to do an activity on my behalf, and the go- there's a going rate, like a set rate that everyone pays for this. So even if the pile arranges for a higher rate, there are certain circumstances where I not, might not be obligated to pay him that you know, elevated payment because it's more than the going rate. And Skiris Pilum is dictated by the going rate, whatever is the Minigah Medina. How could the, the, the terrorist step in and say, no, no, the arrangement you made is null and void. All you have to pay is Minigah Medina. We made an arrangement. I'm obligated to pay him for what I arranged. And, and it, he will have Tarumis. He has a legitimate you know, a gripe against me. But I might not be obligated to pay him, perhaps because Skiris Pilum is not strictly, it's not, you know, purely an arrangement between you and I, the Torah is a third party over here. And the Torah dictates, you know, that the amount of Skiris poem is, is set, is nikva, based on the Minik HaMedina. So that's why the Ramah writes over here with regards to Shiduchim, um, that even if a Shadchan asks for what is well above the Minik HaMedina to pay for Shadchanis, a brokerage fee, um, you're not, uh, even if you, that's what you arrange between the two of you, you're not obligated to pay that. Even if he charges an exorbitant fee, and we even make up like that to pay him like that, you know, initially, I might not be obligated to pay. All I'm obligated to pay is committing Hamadina. Now, it's important to state um, that there, in our setting, there is no, I don't think, one set fee for sure, but either certainly varying customs in different communities, you know, Baltimore, Lakewood, Five Towns, I don't know what's going on. There's lots of different minhagim uh, in terms of what the expectation is. And there's certainly different expectations with regards to different kinds of families and different kinds of situations. And every, um, you know, almost every situation has a different uh, range and expectation, but almost always uh, there's a range. If there's a range, you know, what the Minig HaMedina is, so then there's a big machlek sapais from Shulchan and the Ksais. Does that mean you could get away with paying the bottom tier in the range? Or is the expectation you should pay the middle, the median of the range? Shulchanar says you get away paying the bottom tier. So he says you should really pay the median if you didn't discuss it in advance. But that's why the Chafetz Chaim recommends in Avas Chesed, it's not only in Shiduchim, it's all areas of brokerage. Wherever there's a range of how much of a percentage or how much of a fee the broker gets, it's always best, says the Chafetz Chaim, and it's true at times too, to discuss it explicitly in advance. Of course, it's uncomfortable. We want to come to people as friends and bring you deals and bring you Shiduchim. But it just makes for machlekes later on because people don't know what the expectation is. So it's better, and then you get miscommunication, and everyone is elich, but you get a miscommunication. So here too, it's better. It would be better, and in Eretz Yisrael they spell it out mamish. But it would be better if we would uh, be a little bit more explicit about what's uh, what's expected, and if it's within the range, one would be obligated to pay, of course, you know what is what is uh, within the range. If it's beyond the range of what's acceptable. So that's what the Ramah says. Sometimes the Torah steps in and dictates a different amount. How can the Torah do that? The answer is because Kira's problem is an obligation the Torah imposes. And therefore, even if a person brought me a shidduch unsolicited, I might be obligated to pay him. He didn't tire of Kira's problem. What's the Shachan's responsibility? If they think that a match is great, but they're not going to get paid that amount of money, do you know what I mean? Like, can they say, okay, I'm not making, even though it's a great match, because I'm not getting paid. If they're partnering with us, they have to budget their time. Everyone, 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 
they're working for Hashem, it's true, but they also have to, uh, if this is their parnasa, so they gotta, you know, they gotta, they gotta figure out what, uh, you know, what, uh, what makes sense in terms of, you know, concentrating their efforts. Yeah. And you always presume that you need to. I'm pay. sure there's a chesed that every shotgun does, but they know they're not going to get paid, and, and they should be respected for that. And you know, but I don't know how much time a lawyer could do a lot of things pro bono. Not every lawyer is doing all cases pro bono, but yeah. Is there a difference between? I know an answer that makes this distinction literally, but is there a difference between giving the idea and actually we'll get the, yeah. working? Yeah, yeah. One second, one second. There's another perspective over here in this whole halakha of and it figures into how, how and who gets paid for the shachanas. And that's based on the Gemara Mesethus Baba Basra. The Gemara Baba Basra discusses a situation like Yehuda and Shimon. If you know the way the Shvatim were organized in Eretz Israel, Shimon was landlocked inside of Yehuda. So Gemara discusses what if uh, Yehuda builds a fence between his property and Shimon's property? Now, you're not obli- Let's say it's in a town. We're not obligated to build a fence for privacy purposes. It depends on the custom of the town. I mean, there's no custom like that to do it, but Yehuda did it to protect uh, you know, his privacy from Shimon, who was landlocked inside of him. Shimon benefits too, because now Shimon's uh, property is uh, private and protected too. So the Gemara says in the Baba Basra that if he builds a fence around all four sides, whether Yehuda built the whole thing around Shimon, or even if Shimon participated, Shimon now, once he benefits, is obligated to pay for the wall. Even if the whole thing was built by Yehuda, unsolicited, unilaterally, Shimon, if he's happy about it, is obligated to pay um, for that wall. Like Mexico. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the Ramban explains, um, what is this based upon? This old halacha, the yard of I come to your property, even though it's unsolicited, uh, and, I, and unilateral, and I improve your property, and you're happy about it, and the property benefits from it, you're obligated to pay me for it. That's a Yorotasdechaverbishbiko. So here the Rambam, though, has a unique shita which perhaps reflects his whole approach to Yorotasdechaverbishbiko. The Rambam says the only time Shimon is obligated to pay for the wall is if it's half built on his property. If it's half built on his property, then he's obligated to pay for the wall. If Yehuda built the whole thing on his property, right? Yehuda surrounds Shimon. He built the whole thing on his property. Shimon is not obligated to pay. And the Rambam says that Yerali, this is something that he thought of on his own. He doesn't have an early source for it, but it seems to him logical and compelling. He's only obligated to pay for the field if it's half, uh, the wall, if it's half on Shimon's property. So the rival asked in the Rambam, that makes no sense. It's counterintuitive. Because if it's all built on Yehuda's property, Shimon's property is unencumbered. Shimon's property, his, his property line, it doesn't have a wall on it. He got a bigger property. He got more than if it would have been built half on his property. So the rabbi says, other rabbi, it makes more sense if Yehuda builds it all on his property than he bites the bullet and has you know, the retaining wall on his property. The Shimon, of course, now should pay for it because it didn't you know, infringe upon the boundaries of his property at all. What's the Pshad in the Rambam? So Mishnah says the Pshad in the Rambam is the following. The Rambam feels is only obligated to pay if he, you know, there's some tangible enhancement or benefit to his property. Why? Because the whole halacha of that he's obligated to pay him for the enhancement they made on his property, according to the Rambam, is not based on Sechiris Poyalim. It's because you enhance my property, I have to pay you for that enhancement. Because when one enhances a property, even though it's not his property, he owns the enhancement. And therefore the owner now has to buy the enhancement from him. You see like that from another Rambam. The Rambam writes in Hilchus Trumis, that uh, this is a Mishnah, that there's no Trumis and Maestros on a day Hefker. If you find random Paris uh, on a you know, random field in Eretz Israel, there's no obligation of Trumis and Maestros on a day Hefker. But the Rambam says, Hazoireya stay Hefker, if I plant on a stay Hefker, then I'm obligated to separate Trumis and Maestros. Why? 
but the fruits grew on a stay hefker. If they would have grown by themselves, no tumors and mice. Why is it different? Because I planted it. So Rabbi explains in Rambam, not there, but in Hilkas Malv Veloyve, the opinion of the Rambam is when you enhance a property, you own the enhancement that becomes yours. And therefore, it's obligated to separate Chumas and Maestras from the enhancement because you own the enhancement. Kind of like an Uman Kaina Bishvach Kli. I get materials to create a Becher. The Uman owns the Becher. Even though it wasn't his materials, he created something, he enhanced it, he owns the enhancement. So the opinion of the Rambam over here is the reason why you have to pay someone who enhanced your property is not Midin Skiris Pelem, is because he enhanced my property. He owns that enhancement. You and that's if I have to buy the enhancement from him. So I'm really paying for the Hanar that he provided for me because he kind of is a bylim over that uh, Hanana and I'm paying it, you know, paying, uh, bu- purchasing it from him. So Reb Naftali Trepp over here, Oisil just summarizes the Machlekes. It's Machlekes, how does that Yerod HaSoyseh Chaver Vishbicho function? One opinion is in the Rishonim, that's the prevailing view, is that it's Midin Skiris Pailim. If you did something that enhanced my property, it's as if I asked you to do it and I'm obligated to pay you Midin Pail. According to the Rambam, it's because I'm paying you for the Hanah, I'm paying you for the enhancement, paying you for the benefit that you provided my property, because since you created the benefit, you shaft it, it's Ki'ilu, you know, a little bit, you own it. A huge nafkamina, and this is the two days in Taisis and Mesechtis Ksubis, is um, what happens if a person pays off the debts of someone else? Someone else has debts, and he's a nice guy, and he pays off the debts. Can I come back to collect... Uh, you know, the amount that I paid off on behalf of this individual. He has a million dollars outstanding. I paid him a million dollars. Now I want to collect a million dollars. Can I do that? Am I entitled to do that? So the Gemara says, if you pay off the debts of someone else, you lose your money. You can't collect the, the money. Why not? Taisa says, what happened to you? I come to your property and I enhance it. Here I enhanced your portfolio. I paid off your debts. Why am I not entitled to be paid for that? So Tysus explains, because there's nothing there that you, no enhancement that you provided. You removed the problem, <coughs> like I built a wall that protected your property, but if I didn't build it on your property, I didn't enhance your property, there's no halacha v'yoresdei I built a, you know, the enhancement on my property. So you benefited, but I didn't enhance your property, I didn't enhance your portfolio. So over here too, I didn't enhance your portfolio, I removed the problem of outstanding debts. But I didn't give you any shvach. I saved you. There's no, there's no when I just saved you from a problem only when I provided you with a tangible benefit or I provided you with something new. I provided you with a new kind of enhancement, a benefit. So then I'm obligated to pay you, know, pay, pay you for it. There's another day in Tysus who learns the whole halacha differently. I am obligated to pay you for it because it's Kilu. I hired you to pay off my debts and I'm obligated therefore to compensate you for that. Which makes sense, we didn't skew his problem. But you have these two perspectives of how this halacha works. Is it we didn't skew his problem, or am I paying you really for the enhancement that you provided to my life you know, in, 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 uh, in what you did? And all of this plays into the halacha of paying a shachan. The halacha of paying a shachan, or uh, a broker in, you know, in business, all the same halacha. Uh, the Ramah writes over here in Chosh Mishrit, Simarei Shamach Dalet, Sif Dalet, that if a person does a taiva for you, whether in the area of Shidukim or in arranging a deal and brokering a deal, a person does something on my behalf, you cannot say, I thought you were doing this for free. You didn't mention a fee up front. This was unsolicited. Since I didn't command you to do it, no, he's, uh, he's obligated to pay him for that which he did. That either the din of Skiris Pelem steps in and I'm obligated to pay you because the Torah imposes the heel of Skiris Pelem and one does an activity for someone else where the expectation is to be paid for it, or because you benefited my life in some way, so I'm obligated to pay you, you know, for, for, that, which, uh, for that which you did. There are certain instances 
where one would be Michael. You know, the assumption is they're doing it for free. Sometimes people do things altruistically. And they just say, I'm just doing this because I like you. And there's no expectation to be paid for the Shadchanis. A lot of times people say that and they don't really mean it, but a lot of times mm-hmm. people do mean it. Certainly in a family, let's say, a brother arranges a shidduch on behalf of a sister. That's like, so a person can say, what, can the father, you know, can the, can the father charge a son, Shadchanis, because he arranged a shidduch on behalf of his son? No, it's ridiculous, because obviously they're all part of the same team over here. So there's no Shadchanis between a father and a son. So there's no Shadchanis between siblings either. We assume people are doing things altruistic. My, my, benefiting himself. Huh? He got the kid out the house. Uh, okay, yeah. If, if you don't hold like the romp on this, it, it creates a lot of problems. Let's say somebody has two properties and one throws down his property, increase the value to twofold, and now the neighborhood goes up in value. He can each go to each person and said, your property was enhanced. That's indirect. That's indirect. That's that's uh, two two steps removed. No, it's not two steps. He, he's enhancing the other person's value. Well, one guy builds a nice property that enhances everyone on the block. Right. So, so can I charge you for that? No. No. I didn't do that for the... No one, no one who builds a nice house does it for the neighbors. <laughs> they benefit because he's uh, improved the uh, aesthetics of the block, but that's not... Right. The same way when someone builds a, a fence on his property, yeah. from yeah. Right? Yeah. Isn't it local? And someone's yeah. in Sakana, you pay money. Yeah, who's in Sakana here? No, in general. But you know, the day you have to reimburse him. That's a, does that so like, why, why is that different than here? No, you're obligated to pay you're him back. Obligated to pay sure, him. you're obligated to pay him back. Yeah, yeah. If you don't have the money, can he refrain from providing services? That's the discussion, but he's obligated to pay him back, sure. But there are certain circumstances where people do do things for free, but, but generally the assumption is a person is going to be, uh, person is going to be paid. When do you pay the shachan? So that's two opinions over here on Chesh Mishpah with a big nafkamina. One opinion is you're supposed to pay him at the time that the shidduch is finalized, when they sign the tenorim. The other opinion is at the time that the wedding happens. I think it depends on the community. There are different customs throughout the history of Klal Yisrael. As recently as the Aruch HaShulchan writes that the custom was to pay Shachanus when they signed the Tanoim. Now, I think that makes sense when the Tanoim were the real Tanoim of the, you know, of uh, generations past where they were clawless, there were curses embedded in the Tanoim. So much so, they quote in the name of the Vilna Goyen that if you sign the Shtar Tanoim with all the curses that it entails for those who break a Shidduch, better to go through with the wedding and get divorced rather than break a Shtar Tanoim because of the curses that are involved in the Tanoim. So the Tanoim, and in many communities, they still use the Tanoim with the uh, Chesidish communities mainly, still use the Tanoim with uh, all the curses and all the consequences for one who breaks the Shidduch. Ramesha didn't want anyone uh, you know, to be, be suffer these kinds of curses, so Ramesha neutered the Shtar Tanoim. It's an entirely meaningless document. It really just says the parties agreed to go through with that which they arranged without any consequences mentioned, and we signed it right before the wedding in most places. So it's like a foregone. It's a fait accompli, really. It's a formality. We still do it, of course, but it's uh, for a Moshe, it's a formality. So then in our situation... What's the source for tonight? Another time. Another time. The Gemara says, Rav man get the makadish below shiduchi. Rav used to give malchus for a person who got married without properly arranging it, like a shotgun wedding, like a sailor, a drunken sailor, you know. So Rav used to give malchus a person who goes into marriage without the proper kaivid rush. So in order to go into marriage properly, recognizing how the significant uh, undertaking that it is, we require star to know him. I mean, we're going into this, we're going to prepare for the wedding, we're going to do this kadasa kadin to show that we understand the kadusha that we're discussing. So that's why we do star to know him. We do it right before the wedding, but it shows we understand this was something we all prepared for, 
and, and we, uh, we undertook properly. So, but in those communities where they signed a real star tonight, I understand why Shalchanis would be paid at the time they signed the star tonight at the Vart or whatever. However, by us, it's not really the custom, so it makes more sense we pay uh, by at the time of the wedding. A big difference will be what if the Shidduch Lailainu breaks off? So if the Shidduch breaks off, so the expectation is you pay the Shadduch at the time of the Tanoim, so if it breaks off after the Tanoim, you still have to pay the Shadduch. If the expectation is he's going to be paid at the time of the wedding, then if the Shidduch breaks off, um, then you're not obligated, uh, before the wedding, obviously, then you're not obligated to pay him, uh, you're not obligated to pay him Shadduchanus. It depends on when, you're, when the expectation is. What if the person arranges a Shidduch and it doesn't go anywhere? They arrange dates and nothing happens. So that's a tshuva that the Rosh has. Over here, Klau which is quoted by the Ramah, that a person does a lot of hishtalus and it goes nowhere, then he's not obligated to pay shatchanis. It only if it actually materializes either in a shatchanim or in a, uh, ultimately in a wedding. Nowadays, though, there's a custom of, uh, of, uh, of paying people for arranging dates. If the couple actually goes out, they send flowers for Shabbos, they send chocolates, because people are spending time arranging. If people just give a name and it doesn't go anywhere, everyone researches, no one does anything. I mean, it's not, they're still doing a nice thing, but okay. But if they arrange a date, it's a new custom um, that people send gifts and, because they want the person to continue to provide them with Shidduchim, even if it doesn't materially, you know, it doesn't go beyond a few dates, they still send them a nice gift for for, you know, uh, for getting them that far. So it's actually an older custom. It goes around you back to the time of Debe Chaim. They quote like that from uh, Rabbi Israel of uh, Rijin. Many different uh, tzaddikim had such a practice of paying people for their hishtablis that they do. However, already in the 1700s, in the Tshuva's Gur Arya Yehuda, he writes, you got to be careful here because if this becomes an established custom, now it's not just a nice gesture that you're doing, like uh, I'm uh, sticky or whatever and I do this. Um, now you'll think of me more than anybody else. If that becomes the custom that everyone starts doing it, well, then it becomes an expectation. And now, not only is that a nice thing to do, one is obligated to do, to do that. So we have to be careful that we don't cross the line into an area where that already becomes, uh, you know, becomes the expectation. What if, though, uh, you know, the, let's say the parents don't want to pay? Is the couple obligated to pay? Who is the obligation of Skiris Parliament? Is it on the couple or is it on the parents? And you can have this scenario where, the, let's say, the parents you know, don't want to pay or they're not familiar with this custom of paying Shadchanis. Or let's say you have a shidduch that goes, the parents thought it was a good idea on paper, and now they meet the potential uh, you know, in-law, and they don't like him, but they don't like her. But the Chassan Akala likes the individual. And they go through with the shidduch against the wishes of the parents. So the parents say, I never wanted this shit. I'm going to pay you, Shabchanis. But the couple is very happy about it. So is the couple obligated to pay? There's a huge deal in the price scheme. So it seems to me that this depends on this machlekes. What is the reason that you're obligated to pay? If it's midin schiris poem, so then the shachan is usually engaged by the parents, unless the person is an older single who's arranging his own shiduchim. But if a person is usually engaged by the parents, the parents have the obligation of schiris poem, so they would be obligated to pay the shachan. But who benefited from it? If it's, uh, you know, the obligation to pay the shachim is because you benefited my life, you enhanced my life, and I'm obligated to pay you for that enhancement, then one could argue that the, really the obligation is upon the couple and not upon the parents. The Rush writes over here, fascinating shayla that comes up in Hilchus um, brokerage too. What if a person arranges a shidduch on behalf of someone else um, uh, 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 between two parties? It doesn't go anywhere initially, but then uh, after it doesn't go anywhere the first time, it ends up getting arranged, you know, uh, through another means. Uh, one person so, so brings a deal. I bring you a deal. Yeah, I, it can happen in Mominus. I bring you a deal. I bring you a buyer. You're a seller. It doesn't go anywhere initially. And then you end up selling to that buyer without my involvement. So the Rush writes, if it happens right away, you have to pay Shadchanis to the person who originally made the introduction. Because that looks like Ramos. Really? You have a buyer. You have a seller. This guy introduced you. It didn't go anywhere. Two days later, all of a sudden, you're making the deal. So the expectation is there that one would pay, otherwise it looks like Ramos. If there's a huge time lag, it happens five years later, 
I bring you a shidduch. It doesn't happen right away. Five years later, you decide to pursue it, then there's no expectation you should pay shadchanis, you should pay a brokerage fee, because it's not connected to the original introduction. But if it is, then you're obligated to, won't be obligated to pay. However, the Noyed Behuda writes that that's only with regards to a brokerage. That's actually what the Rosh is discussing. Now, she do come a brokerage. So the uh, Noyed Behuda claims the only time you have to pay the person who made the original introduction is in a financial deal. Because financial deals depend on uh, numbers. There's no influence necessarily that the broker has in persuading people to do a deal. People, see, people who are deal people see the numbers. It either makes sense for them or it doesn't make sense. Who the broker is you know, and his personality and how much influence he wields and how aggressive he is rarely will play a significant role in whether or not people go through with the deal. However, therefore, right, if a person makes an introduction, that's everything in a deal. I put two people together. Then, even if you later do it without me, the expectation is you'll pay me for making the introduction. The Neid Behuda claims that Shidduchim, that's not the case. Shidduchim functions based on the effort of the shotgun. How aggressive the shotgun. I'm terrible at Shidduchim because you have to be aggressive. If you don't pursue people, you don't badger people, you don't uh, persuade them, you'll get, you'll get nowhere. The most successful shotgun are the most aggressive uh, individuals because that's what it takes to sell a, sell a Shidduch. Uh, that's just that's the reality of it. It's uncomfortable, but that's the reality of it. So Nebi Yehuda says we all get that that's different than a financial deal, which also the numbers speak for themselves. Here, it's the Shadchan who plays a critical role. So Nebi Yehuda claims the Maschil, the one who made the introduction, is a garnish. Who gets paid? The person who brought it to the finish line. Because he's the one who actually made it happen. The introduction is nothing in Shidduchim. So the Nebi Yehuda claims that the one who makes the introduction gets nothing. However, Reif HaPaiskim disagree with this Noyed Behuda, the Pesachai Tshuva quotes uh, Shlaima Kluger writes in the Chachma Shlaima, the Archashulchan, that no, we don't go that extreme, that we believe that uh, you know, the person does get, you know, does, get, uh, does get a share. So if there are many people that play a role in the, in the Shidduch, I say there's one who made the introduction, there's one who brought it to the finish line, each one gets, you know, gets, uh, gets uh, a portion of the Shadchanis. There is what's known as a maschil, there is a goimer, a person who brings it to the end, there's sometimes an emtsoy, a person who steps in in the middle to get things back on track, and each one is entitled to get paid somewhat for their <coughs> effort. How much do they get paid is actually two days in Pisgah Tshuva, some hold the maschil gets a third, some hold, and the goimer gets two-thirds, some hold that they split it half and half, there's mechairis, you wouldn't believe the pilpum that go on over here. Because they quote the Pisgah Tshuva, quotes the Shev Yaakov, brings a raya from the Gemara Mesech the Saita. The Gemara says in Saita, Moshe Rabbeinu took the bones of Yosef from Mitzrayim with him. But who's given the credit for burying Yosef? The Pesach says in Sefer Yeshua, the Klal Yisrael buried Yosef in, in, in Eretz Yisrael. But Yisrael took it out of Mitzrayim. So the Gemara says in Mesech the Saita, Ein HaMitzvah Nikres, Ela Al Shem Goimra. person who finishes it. Shev Yaakov says, you see the Goimra, gets the uh, majority of the, of the thing. The person who starts it off who made the introduction gets nothing. At the same time, the Medrash says, the Beis HaMikdash is referred to as Miz Moshiach Hanukas Habayis LeDavid. David's Beis HaMikdash. What did David do? All he did was start. Ah, you see, starting. Getting it started is the real, is the real deal. So Pais can bring Raya's back and forth and hitting the hair. How much, uh, how much should they get? And a lot of times, each party has their own Shadchan. So then each family has to pay their own Shadchan. Well, what if one was a Maschil and then the, you know, each one had their own maschil, and then they had. I once sat one day in the basin of Avosha Wise, uh, twice I did it actually. I sat there and we just watched what took place. <laughs> one of the cases, it's the most wild uh, setting, but the, one of the cases we sat there for, we saw the whole thing, was uh, a, sh- a shidduch between a wealthy French man, a middle aged man, and some ba- who didn't speak any English or Hebrew came out. And this American Balas Chuba, who spoke nothing to do with French, he was Heimish, he was like a Balas Chuba. 
And anyway, each one had their own shadchan. And then there was a third one who brought it all together, and they were arguing about who should get which shadchan is. And there were five different languages. He was arguing in French, she was arguing in English, and the shadchanim only spoke Hebrew. It was a But the mamish, there's, there, in Eretz Israel, this is, uh, this is heavy business. This is a big business over here. Chazen Kawa. But who did what? Eidos, testimony, this one, that one. Uh. Are they still married? They were married. They were happily married. <laughs> but Lamaisa is, uh, they call him the name of Chaim Kenevsky. Lamaisa, it depends on who did what effort. The Shidduch, this we do except from the Noid Behuda. The Shadchan is paid for their effort. Sometimes the Moscow puts in effort. Sometimes the Goimer puts in more effort. That's why if a person just suggests a Shidduch to a Shadchan and they later introduce the parties to each other, a person just makes a suggestion, there's no effort that they did at all, even in making an introduction, then there's no shadchanas that needs to be paid. It all depends on how much effort the person invested in the, in the shidduch. Lamaisa is, is that whoever is involved in the shidduch, it's a nice thing uh, to pay them for their, for their involvement, for, for, you know, for doing things on our behalf. It says in Pesach in the name of Chut Shoni, that if the parties are meichol, you know, then they're meichol. According to the name of Yashif, in the Sefer Tzuni Halacha, if a pair of parties are Michael, there's no heebie-jeebies not to pay them. But people get very nervous. Even if you're Michael, I still want to pay you. Rabbi Yashif said that's no such thing. If the parties are Michael, the Meshachim is Michael, the Shachim is Michael. No heebie-jeebies. However, they do quote from the Chazanish that, that if they're not really Michael, if the people do expect to be paid, and then you don't pay them, then you have, you know, there's a cloud that hangs over this Shidduch. So it's better always. Whenever anyone played a hand in the shidduch, it's a nice thing if one can and has the resources to do it to pay them, you know, for all of their efforts and let the couple start life, you know, without any of this kind of uh, clouds hanging over their head. But in the beginning, we should all participate in this whole thing.